Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. And welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. It's an interlull, of course, which means things are a bit quiet. We were going to do something a little bit different, you know, follow the trends. It's important, you know, in the podcasting world to to see what's going on around you as much as you might blaze a trail yourself. You've got to see what it is that people want. Unfortunately, Kai Havertz's mum was not available to come on the show today. However, we do have plenty to talk about. There's been a lot going on this week. The post-Newcastle stuff rumbles on and on and on because this week we were treated to the audio of the decision-making process that led to Anthony Gordon's goal being awarded in that game. Howard Webb and his little puppet friend, Michael Owen, did their funny little TV show, and they spent over six minutes talking about all that, and then about two seconds to talk about the uh, incident involving Bruno Guimaraes and Jorginho. Now, they didn't release the audio for that, however... It was made public, I think, by Team News and Ticks. I think he's uh, leaked lineups on Instagram as well, Team News and Ticks on Twitter. He um, leaked that audio out for all of us to hear, and it was uh, quite something to listen to two match officials see what they saw. You know, it was pretty fucking obvious, and then decide that a red card was not the thing to do. I don't quite know how they came to that conclusion. The language they used was strange, to say the least. The fact that he didn't use his arm as a weapon, and the reality is that we all know, had that been, for example, Granit Xhaka, who'd done that to any other player, he would have been banned for about 15 months. 
because that's just how it works. Anyway, we will get to that a little bit later on. There's more to talk about as well, of course. Um, as we are at a point in the season where we take a stop, we can look. 25% of the games are gone. Take stock, assess where we are. We're going to do that. We're going to talk a little bit about David Raya, Aaron Ramsdale, uh, the VAR stuff, PGMOL, and more. And I'm delighted to welcome back to the show to do that from The Athletic. It is Art DeRoche. Hi, Art. Hello. Thanks for having me. And as usual, I hope everyone is having a good day, night morning, evening, whatever it is. Whatever it is. All the better having heard from you, I'm sure. How is the uh, Interlol treating you so far? Um, Interlol has gone okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Have a chance to kind of work on a few longer term things, which is quite cool. Um, I won't say what they are just yet, (laughs) but um, I'm sure people will find out in due course. Okay. Okay. Well, look, we are... 25% of the way through the season. Arsenal sit uh, in the Premier League table in third place, but level on points with Liverpool just a point behind Manchester City. And of course, Liverpool and Man City play first game back after the the international break. So someone's going to drop some points there, hopefully both from an Arsenal perspective. How do you think Mikel Arteta will be feeling about where Arsenal are in terms perhaps of what he would have expected from his team this season? Because, you know, to be on 27 points, just a point behind the leaders, very, very healthy position. But of course, there's a lot of talk, a lot of debate this season about how Arsenal are playing and the differences between this season and last season in terms of football and all the rest. But, you know, what you think, what I think might not matter. Let's try and think about what Mikel Arteta thinks. And and what's your what's your sense of that from you know from covering the the various games, press conferences and having, you know, some some chats with him about attacking units and all the rest. <laughs> what, what do you reckon he'll be uh, thinking? I, I I suspect personally that he will be quite pleased with where we are. Yeah, I think from his perspective the football is probably um where he thought it would be um, just because I I don't feel like he went into this season the way many Arsenal fans or people who report on Arsenal did expecting this exact same football. Um, I think it's been quite a deliberate change in terms of style, not like overhauling the entire system because there are still, I guess, um, very foundational points that need to be hit by Mm. certain players um, being in certain areas of the pitch, for instance. But I think the challenges are just a lot different this year. So he would have seen that coming, I feel. Um, And with where Arsenal are, I'd say he'd probably be fairly pleased, but also a little bit frustrated because you do get a sense that in some, after some matches, um, like the Fulham game, for instance, he felt, and I I know a lot of Arsenal fans would have felt, that Arsenal should have walked away with three points instead of one. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I think from his perspective, he'd feel probably a little bit better than most Arsenal fans do. Um, but um, yeah, I, I do. So when <laughs> you mentioned the attacking unit stuff, when I did put that to him, he said it's good that there's still, I guess, room for improvement, mm. which is a sentiment I do agree with. Um, and I also um, feel like 
almost in hindsight, the fact that Arsenal are where they are with the injury problems they've had throughout the season, not just in the past couple of weeks, is quite um, a decent, uh, I guess, barometer that they are a solid team that can... I guess, compete in the Premier League. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I, I think there is a, you know, there's a balance between what he might have tried to address in terms of how the team play, but also key absences for, you know, key players. Martin Odegaard has been out for the last little while. And I think it's probably fair to say that, that this season so far, he hasn't quite reached his best level. Gabriel Jesus in and out of the team. And we know just you know, what quality he can bring, the Sevilla game. You know, I think Arsenal could have gone to Sevilla and won, but mm -hmm. the way we did it with Gabriel Jesus, who, who provides these moments, which I think people are slightly craving, you know, those kind of <laughs> uh, little um, flashes of brilliance and panache and, and stuff that makes you go, <gasps> you know, which there haven't been quite enough of maybe this season, but, you know, I think there are reasons. Thomas Partey, who was a very important part of the team last season, he has played really when he did play he was playing at right back so I think there are elements to explain why perhaps the football hasn't been quite what it was but also it goes the other way where I think there has been a um a focus on being more defensively solid uh, Sam Dean wrote a good piece in the in the Telegraph and uh, just a couple of bits here he said in the last 20 Premier League campaigns the team that won the title has scored an average of 85 goals by that basic measure with 88 goals last season Arsenal had an attack that was good enough to win the league. Defensively, however, they fell a long way short of the usual requirements of Premier League champions in the last two decades. The league winners have conceded an average of just 29 goals in the seasons that they've won the league. Last season, Arsenal led in 43 goals, 10 more than champions Manchester City. 10 goals, you know, I know it doesn't work like this, but 10 goals could be 30 points or, you know, mm -hmm. 20 points, um, depending on the game state in which you concede those goals. So it does feel a very deliberate shift to um, to building a platform that is defensively stronger and trusting that even without some of the, the, the players, like we mentioned, like Odegaard, like Jesus, with other players who haven't quite hit the level that we would have expected yet, there is still the ability to win the games because you have, for the most part, this very good defensive platform. Yeah, I, I remember actually um, when Arsenal's defence last season started to get a bit, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Ragged? Ragged. Um, I... I remember writing a piece basically asking for them to be boring again. Um, <laughs> and when I know boring may be a word that people um, think is a bit extreme, um, but by boring, I just meant they can't go on being so just lax and open mm. um, and having to win or having to score three or four goals to win a game like against Bournemouth or Manchester United, uh, or Aston Villa away. That's the big mm. one. Um, you can't do that every week. Sometimes it has to be a 1-0 or a 2-0, and that's fine. Um, there have already been a few games like that this season where it's almost like, okay, job done, get on the bus, go home. Mm. <laughs> and again, you still get three points for that. So um, I, I do feel... As Sam said in his piece last season, Arsenal's attack was it was 
I guess, a different style of attack to Manchester City. They were spreading goals out a bit more, but they still could have won the league with that attack. It was the defence that held them back. So um, it is quite an interesting development, which I guess a lot of people were asking for, myself included, last Mm. season. Now that they've actually got it, it's taken a while to get used to and accept, um, which is quite interesting because you would think... I would, or people would remember asking for less, I guess. Chaos. Less chaos, less draining experiences. Mm. Um, Now now we've got that and it's almost like not happy with that. So... um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you put yourself back in in, uh, sort of towards the end of the season, right? Mm. Do you feel like, for example, if Arsenal were to go 2-0 up at West Ham or 2-0 up at Liverpool, this particular iteration of Arsenal would be better capable of dealing with those leads? I mean, you might ask the question, Mm. is it an Arsenal team that is capable of going 2-0 up in the way that we did in those games? You know, because we came out of the block so fast and, and we scored the goals. And early goals, of course, were a feature of last season. You know, oh, maybe we score too early. Um, you know, there there is maybe an argument to be had on that side. But I do feel like if those scenarios were to be replayed this time, uh, this time, you know, we would be better able to to manage the score lines. And I think that's part and parcel of what he's been trying to do. Yeah, potentially. But I I do think the second point is probably the one um, that is most realistic. I I doubt Arsenal would be 2-0 up at Anfield um, this time around, just because it feels like um, the community, both games against Manchester City this season, so the Community Shield and the Premier League game, followed very similar patterns in terms of, okay, maybe we won't have the ball the whole game, but we're going to stay in it as long as possible, be competitive, and then when when you sense a chance to go and kill it, go for it. Um, so that's kind of where I see, I guess, Arsenal from a competitive standpoint this season. Um, but if they were in the positions they were last year, um, say West Ham away, Southampton, do we include that? I'm not sure. Mm. But Liverpool, Mm. um, I do think there'd probably be a bit more, I guess, calm and level-headedness, um, to see it through. The Community Shield, when you think about it now, is quite an interesting game to look back on because my thought at the time was it was very specific to a the point of the season that we were in which is right at the start and b the opposition that we were playing and having been turned over by Manchester City towards the end of the previous season we're not going to make the same mistakes we're not going to allow you to play over us we're not going to press you really high up the pitch and all of a sudden you just launch one and there's six foot five Erling Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne and all the rest of it who are just brilliant at exploiting that space. We're going to, in some ways, um, approach this game like you might expect a, in inverted commas, smaller team to approach a game. But it does, in some ways, when you look back on it, kind of set the tone for for um, you know what was to come, not in quite that way because there aren't too many teams like Manchester City in the league, but 
it is all built around the idea that we give as little away as mm-hmm. possible. When you think about the goals that we've conceded this season, some of them have been, you know, down to either good breaks or kind of individual mistakes. And and thankfully, there haven't been too many of them as our defensive record shows. But it's not a case that Arsenal are being opened up time and time and time again. Like, we could talk about goalkeepers, and we will now in a minute, of course. But, you know, David Raya, since he's come into the team, you know, the discussion has been probably more about what he's done with the ball or what he hasn't done with the ball. Very little about what he's actually had to do as a goalkeeper because I don't know that he's had to do quite that much. No, he hasn't. I, I, I think the past two games that just spring to mind are obviously um, the game of the weekend against Burnley where you only really had one save to mm. make, which was first the one half, in the yeah. first few minutes. Um, couldn't really do much about the goal because it was deflected. Um, there was the one where the guy went through actually in the midway. Oh, sorry. The first yes. Half. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Good yeah. save. Massive yeah. save. Um, and Sheffield United is the other game mm. in my head where, again, he was just there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that also probably almost heightens the discussion around him when mistakes do creep in mm. because it's not like he's involved for the whole game. Um, so you don't see a lot of him, but when you do see him, you're like, okay, what is happening right now? And how does that affect Arsenal? Um, so the Manchester City game, for instance, I could sense uh, the anxiety um, with what he was doing on the ball. But once you get the ex- explanation of him holding on to the ball to drag, say, players towards him, and then there's a free man mm-hmm. to go to in midfield, like Declan Rice um, when he was fouled by Kovacic, for instance, um, it helps you understand what's happening a bit more. Um, the one thing... Um, from a goalkeeping perspective where I've been a bit, uh, I guess, uh, what's the right word? Where I say I think there's probably still room for improvement is just him knowing where he is on the pitch at the right times. So the Chelsea and the Newcastle goals and the Sevilla moment right in added time where Mm. he almost punches it into his own net. Um, Those moments just stick out because they cost Arsenal and almost cost Arsenal. So um, again, kind of silly mistakes, little individual errors that um, mean Arsenal aren't two, three points further ahead uh, uh, where they are at the minute. But Hopefully, over time, those get uh, ironed out. Yeah, I mean, I have to, I have to say, like when the severe one happened, I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> Jesus Christ!" You know, in in the heat of that moment. But when I went back to look at it, I think it's a very important intervention, even if it's one that he didn't get right or a hundred percent right. I think the fact is, if he doesn't come for that, there's an easy chance for Sevilla at the back post. Okay. Um, with the other two, I understand, you know, that near post positioning is probably something that they're going to have to think about and have to reconsider, isn't it? Because he has been exposed a couple of times there. And you can maybe talk about the defending for the Newcastle one where the crawl should have been closed down. Yeah. But I think Mudrick said, 
as a way to try and justify his complete fluke. You know, they told us to chip the goalkeeper or go for the goalkeeper because he's positioned there. And I do wonder if that might play into, um, you know, where he positions himself going forward. Because if everyone knows that's where you're going to be, there's an obvious weak point if you've got the ability to deliver the ball into a, an area where he can't where he can't get it. But to what extent do you think his presence in the team is linked to what we were talking about at the start, that defensive solidity, that defensive platform? The uh, There was a famous quote, wasn't there, from Arteta, where he, he talked about how you know he, he doesn't like to see his players just boot the ball forward because two seconds later it comes straight back at you. Yeah, And it might be boring and it might be tedious at times and it might be a bit nerve-wracking at times when your goalkeeper is holding onto the ball and everyone's going, move it, pass it, look, you know, and he's inviting <laughs> players on and he's standing there with his foot on top of the ball. He's doing his little drag backs like you do when you're 3-0 up in FIFA and you do the, the, <laughs> you do the keepy-uppies just to annoy the guy you're playing against and then he rage quits. Um, other football teams can't rage quit, though. That's the thing. But... You know, that stuff does feel kind of inextricably linked with that defensive um, focus we're talking about. Yeah, it does feel like it's only really visible in those bigger games um, mm. because Burnley, Sheffield United, all due respect to them, um, you, you hardly see David Raya. Um, so it's quite hard to tell how much of an impact he's actually having in those games and that's not to downplay him mm. um i think it would be the same if aaron ramsdale was in goal um so i think it is when you get to those bigger games or i guess more pressurized games where um you see against newcastle other than that moment i feel like arsenal were there mm -hmm. and every player was involved in them being there present um, so I can see where you're coming from in terms of uh, talking about him being linked to what's going on. Um, I, I do still feel, I guess, there is room for a bit more, um, just to feel a bit more assured with his presence. Maybe the defenders and his teammates are, but I, I still think there are fans who aren't as assured with him being in goal. Sure. Be because they will remember... The Manchester City game, uh, the Chelsea mistake, the Newcastle, the Newcastle mistake. So, um, I do still think there is a bit more to come. I mean, time heals all wounds and all traumas in football. You know, you talk about those uh, those little mistakes that he made. Well, little big mistakes, I think. You know, particularly the one in the Chelsea game where he just passed it to to Cole Palmer. But you know, go back last season and and look at what Aaron Ramsdale did in the first ten seconds of the game against Southampton. You know that this is this is not unique to David Raya, obviously. And uh, Aaron Ramsdale's situation is one I think that you know does. Uh, does link to David Rice because he's a popular guy and he's a guy that everybody grew very fond of very quickly. Maybe there was an element of slight collective guilt over, you know, the, what we're signing Aaron Ramsdale from what is what are they doing? You know, and, you know, unfortunately, um, the worst excesses of social media were, were present at times, uh, something Ramsdale has talked about and, 
he won over the fans. He won over the fans with his personality. He won over the fans with his performances. And um, here we are a couple of years down the line. And I'm not sure anyone, you know, could, could have envisaged that he would be in the position that he's in right now. There is obviously focus on that this week, given that his dad did an interview, a podcast interview with the with the Highbury squad and spoke about his situation. Um, I'm not 100% sure how helpful that will be for Aaron Ramsdale in his current situation at, at Arsenal. I'm curious as to why you think of it and it's not to sort of be in any way critical of of the interview because uh, I know Sophie and she does a great job all the time and there's lots of interesting snippets came out of it but I do wonder if I'm Aaron Ramsdale if uh, you know I would have preferred this not to happen I think it's so much about the optics (laughs) that's the big thing because where again a lot of I guess places took um his dad's quotes kind of out of context mm, well, um, yeah the clickbait stuff yeah <laughs> because the way it was framed was almost like just um somebody moaning but it wasn't that um and within the interview he does ask people to be with david raya um i do i think helpful is probably the word it's not a helpful thing to come out um because also people naturally will start to pick sides anyway mm. um and i i just think it doesn't come across well i guess for for ramsdale um and he's not the person who's done the interview so yeah. it's a little it's a little bit unfair um, because now people will feel a certain way about him when he, I don't know what happened. He may have not even known that took place. Yeah, quite possible. Um, quite possible. Which, which is also similar for, um, Raya a few weeks ago when obviously, uh, his agent spoke about how the deal came about, um, which obviously I don't think that was <laughs> very helpful either. So I no. think. Um, when you get stuff like this happening, it is, it is just a little bit unhelpful, but mostly because of the optics and how people re will react. I think what is actually being said, probably it shouldn't really matter too much because people are just saying how they feel. Mm. Um, but you never know how millions of Arsenal fans, and then also how people outside of the Arsenal bubble <laughs> are going to take those words. Sure. Um, so I think that's kind of where I'm at. Um, and I haven't really said much about it because I don't think um, my voice is particularly important in the matter. Um, but uh, yeah, that's where I kind of stand on it. Yeah, it's one of those, like even with the best of intentions, we live in a world, we live in a society where the the, the media, and I'm not sort of including you or, or me even in this, but there are sections of the media landscape which will like just go over this like a, like a pack of, you know, wild dogs on a corpse on the prairie somewhere. They'll just tear it to bits and take the take the stuff that they want. And like you say, present it out of context and, and all the rest of it. 
you know, what the implications might be for Aaron Ramsdale, I don't know. Our next game is against Brentford. David Raya can't play in that game. So will it be viewed as any kind of a distraction? I'm not sure. Ramsdale, of course, is away with England. And when he returns, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it's something that, um, you know, there's been communication over anyway uh, between maybe between himself and, and Mikel Arteta, but you know he he'll be expecting to to play in that game and to be 100 percent focused on that game, and um, it'll be very interesting to see how that how that plays out. Um, you know, here we are, like a good few weeks down the line after all this has happened, and what Mikel Arteta said when he brought David Raya in is sort of at odds with the reality of the situation, right? Why shouldn't I have two good goalkeepers? Well, you can, and no one's arguing that. You know, why can't I substitute a goalkeeper? All that, you know, stuff <laughs> that, you know, has not played out in reality as we know it. Should we be in any way surprised by this? Because one of the words you keep hearing with regards to Mikel Arteta is ruthless, Right, ruthless and football and sport and high level sport can be utterly ruthless. And you know, one day you're you know, flavor of the week, and the next you're completely gone. And that can happen not just in football, but in, in lots of sports. But but the idea that, that Arteta has made a decision, even if in his mind it's only to improve his team by one or two percent. In order to sort of build that culture that he wants at the football club, these are the the decisions that you you kind of have to make as a manager, even if, and this one is, I think, in in some corners, quite unpopular. Yeah, I think I kind of go back to the summer when the interest first came um, came about in the public sphere. Um, obviously, the interest has been there for years in Raya. Mm. Um, but just this summer alone, when it first broke, I wasn't surprised. Um, and that's because, okay, what people say is one thing, but how do they behave? How do they act? How have Arsenal acted in the past under Mikel Arteta when it comes to goalkeepers? They've been quite, <laughs> they've been quite ruthless. Yeah. Um, Leno won, I think he, he was in a shout for player of the year, the year Arteta came in. Um, again, stand-up player the following season, then got injured. Um, and Am Ramsdale presents himself. And I think at that point, like you say, everyone was quite shocked um, to a similar extent because they weren't sure on the quality of Ramsdale at the time. But Arteta stuck to it. Ramsdale quickly came in and got the number one shirt. Um, the only thing that kind of held me back from thinking it would happen this quickly again was the circumstances uh, in which Ramsdale came into. So Arsenal losing three games in a row mm. kind of made it an easy change to make. It wouldn't. It was never going to be as easy this time. Um, but people behave how they behave again. Um, so. Um, for me, it's not been a, a massive surprise, but when you add the sentiment and emotion to it, mm. one thing I have been a little bit surprised by is Ramsdale not even getting games in the Champions League. Um, yeah, that that's been the one element that I've been a bit um, shocked by um, because 
yeah, when you look at the progression of this team, he's a massive part in why Arsenal are even back in the Champions League. Mm. So I feel like that's been a little bit harsh. Um, and again, the Brentford game is now... I guess maybe the, I don't know if it's, it's the, the last opportunity for Mikel Arteta to, I guess, uh, put his words into action because then you've got Lons uh, in mid- midweek afterwards. But mm-hmm. it's definitely an opportunity for Ramsdale to show he's still here, um, which I, to be fair, I think he did when um, when they played Brentford in the League Cup. Um, yeah. So yeah, hopefully he can get some momentum with England and then take that into Arsenal. Yeah, I think, you know, we're all looking forward to seeing Carl Hine start against, <laughs> start against Brentford. Um, I mean, the, the, the point about Leno is, is an interesting one because, you know, I think he was in some ways, not a scapegoat, but, you know, when you consider the back fours that he was playing behind in those opening yeah. three games of that season, um, you know, the was it Pablo Marie, Cedric, Rob Holding, wasn't Kalasinac part of the back Yes, five. I think that we played at. Yeah, that. Oh my God, I'm looking at it now. <laughs> Poor Burned Leno. Actually, the back, the defence that day was Kieran Tierney, solid. Rob Holding, Cedric, Callum Chambers, and Seg Kalasinac. I mean, you've got a feel for Leno in that regard. <laughs> like the goalkeeper. I mean, to be fair, some of those guys never played again either. You know. Um, yeah. Kalasinac and Chambers, I think, went pretty uh, quickly, didn't they? Pablo Marie as well, never really played again after that Chelsea game. So uh, anyway, look, we, we will hope for the best for Aaron Ramsdale. It's been an interesting week uh, off the pitch as well, Art. Um, were you glued to your TV to watch Howard Webb and Michael Owen the other night? I Honestly speaking, I can't say I was. Um, <laughs> I obviously, I saw the important parts Mm. um but if again totally honest from me during the newcastle game i wasn't working so i was watching on the tv i emotionally detached myself as soon as they went to the replays um i just thought i can't waste my energy on that because i just know especially if i went onto twitter as well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it would just drain me. <laughs> so, yeah, I've done my best to kind of just stay level with it all. But um, again, I think when you hear it, you can sense the indecision. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big takeaway. Why is there so much indecision? How do you square that then with the very obvious uh, definitive nature with which they judge the Bruno Gimaraes and Jorginho one. Like I, you know, I've been watching football a long time and I've seen Mm -hmm. a lot of things down the years. We've seen good referees and bad referees and crazy decisions here and there. But even this week, you know, when the audio from that was leaked, which they did not show on the, the show with Owen and, and Webb, which I think was very deliberate because they were focusing on the, the goal over which there was a lot of debate you know, at the expense of what was truly the biggest mistake on the night, which was the, the Bruno uh, forearm. Like when a trained match official says, well, it's not nice, but he didn't use his arm as a weapon. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> what exactly are you 
talking about there? Where in the rule book does it say you may strike a player in the head as long as you do not use your arm as a weapon? Like, do you have to have a certain level of uh, martial arts training in order for your <laughs> fists to be considered your fists of fury? You know what? What? I just don't. I just don't really understand that one. And I know we've been around the houses on this one a bit, but it's mm. still when you hear it laid out like that, it's um, you know the Premier League is very challenging, right? It's very difficult because there's a lot of good teams, a lot of good players, a lot of high level coaches. Tactically, it's more um, sophisticated than it ever was. Physically, it's more demanding than it ever was. And all of these things are the challenges that you have to face during the course of a season. It's it's difficult for, and I'm not just saying this for Arsenal, I think for other football clubs, you know, to compete on that level and then also have to compete with or live with the challenge of officials who don't really seem to understand the laws of the game. Mm. Which is, you know, it's gotta make it so frustrating for 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 managers and players and, and football clubs. Yeah, one thing I, I put to Arteta so the week where this was all being talked about and I was so almost annoyed with myself because I feel like he misunderstood where I was coming from and I didn't clarify where I was coming from um, by him basically does tribalism get in the way of mm. the common goal everyone has of basically the evolution of the game and sure. getting decisions right and he obviously I think he took it as if I was taking a dig at him. Um, And he was quite defensive, saying, you'll never hear excuses from me. Um, But I think where I was coming from is people are only going to speak up about it when it happens or negatively impacts their team. Mm -hmm. So, okay, it's okay that we have a discussion about this now. Other Arsenal platforms do as well. But what about the other 19 or 18 teams if Newcastle fans don't want to talk about it? (laughs) (laughs) What about the other 18 teams? I think that's the big thing where everyone needs to be on a common ground. But we've gone so far the other way that I doubt anyone is ever going to see from the same page all at one time, um, which just makes it even more of an uphill battle. and then when you, I guess, hear the terminology as well, it almost becomes more confusing um, because if we look at Arsenal's last game, Fabio Vieira, um, that's a straight red card, mm-hmm. like no questions about it. It's obvious. Um, but you've still got Arsenal fans. Like I tweeted out, it's a red card. He's caught him on the knee. Someone replied to me saying he brushed his shin. It's like, I I just think everyone Mm -hmm. needs to almost stop just seeing through their club tinted tinted glasses for a second. And then you can almost almost start from there. Because everyone's just seeing the same thing and not trying to put a gloss over it. Um, and then also try and hold people accountable. Um, but I would say it's also really difficult when 
it is such split second decisions. So I, it's not a position I'd want to be in. Sure. <laughs> um, I mean, what do you think is the responsibility of a manager or managers who, you know, will talk about we need better officiating standards. We have to have improvement. Scrutiny of referees, I think, is entirely fair. You know, we can make a very obvious point that abuse and all that is is not helpful and not acceptable. Yeah. Um, but I think most people listening to this would understand that anyway. But when Mikel Arteta talks about the common good, who talks about how he wants uh, standards to improve for the good of the game overall, right? Not just Arsenal's benefit, but everyone's benefit. More decisions are got right. There's greater trust in the officials and the officiating, which is something that he talked about. And he talked about how that has got to be, got to be earned, right? That's fair enough. But next time Arsenal get a contentious decision that goes in our favor. Yeah. Is it important for Mikel Arteta to post game when he's asked about it or if he's asked about it, you know, don't do the cheeky, well, I didn't see it, uh, the, the classic Arsene Wenger, <laughs> you know, does it hurt a manager? Could it potentially backfire on a manager to say, well, you know, I think if the shoe had been on the other foot, I'd have been very unhappy if that goal had been given, whatever it might be. You don't have to sort of, you no, know, say, yeah. we're going to hand you back the points because that's not the way it works. We all know that. But once you've got the points secure in your in your bag, on the table and all the rest of it, it, it does feel like if you really, really are invested in improving standards, you should be able to come out and say something that most managers don't. Yeah, I think that would probably be helpful um, because, again, it just... I'm not saying like managers have like a brotherly bond or whatever, (laughs) (laughs) but they do have internal meetings between themselves. Um, Obviously, I don't know what goes on and what is said within those, but I would imagine that if someone admitted, oh, okay, maybe that that decision went for us and it probably shouldn't have done, um, it would help people or managers almost buddy up mm-hmm. um not in a sense of unprofessionalism just okay we've all got this common goal let's drive towards it um in terms of the trust point you make oh, it's my first thought is how do other federations and leagues have so much more trust for their referees i personally don't know because i don't watch but how is that trust built? Can the FA, can the PGMOL learn anything from anywhere else? Because isn't, this isn't a new conversation. I remember before the 2018 World Cup, Arsene Wenger made the point that there were no English referees mm. um, being sent out. Why is that? Um, how do you actually properly build trust? Because you can't then have, um, say, Roberto... Uh, the Zerbi uh, saying he doesn't like eighty percent of the referees. It's like, are, are, are you yeah. su- are you surprised that there hasn't been any more 
pushback on that or media focus on that? Because um, I talked about this a little bit on one of our Patreon pods this week, <laughs> the, the 30 with, with Phil Costum. We were reviewing the Premier League action. We, we mentioned that quote where Roberto De Zerbi said, I don't like 80% of the referees. I don't like their behavior. Mm. Um, you know, whatever you want to say about Mikel Arteta's reaction to the Newcastle thing, he was very focused on the goal. Like this is this should not be a goal. He didn't say this ref is an asshole. I hate this ref. I fucking hate all the refs. You know, it was it wasn't that. He was very very focused on one incident, one passage of play that he felt there were errors, and you know whether people agree or disagree, he is fo- he is playing the ball and not the man, right? Yeah, I get. You. Whereas Deserby has absolutely gone in two footed on eighty percent of all the referees. I'm kind of astonished that there hasn't been much more um, in the media about this, all these think pieces, all these articles, very little has been discussed about it in terms of, you know, the viral clips that come off TalkSport or whatever, you know, those are the things that we saw time and time again, like you couldn't move for them after the Arteta thing, but Deserbi's just basically say he hates 80% of referees and nobody's batted an eyelid. Yeah, in a way, I'm not surprised because, again, meanness of all due respect, it's not Arsenal. Um, Brighton aren't as big a story as Arsenal are. Mm. Um, so, I mean, anything at Arsenal is a story, basically. Um, so I think that's probably why something of that magnitude happening at Arsenal feels even bigger mm. because everyone will want to say something about it. Um with the Zerbi, uh, he's a he's he's a trendy guy. He's quite a well liked guy, um, and I just don't feel like um, there would have been as much of a draw, really, sure. towards it. So that's why I'm I'm not surprised, um, even though what he said, when you take it as it is. Is a lot more man than ball. If we want to, if we want to, if we want to use that analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how helpful it's going to be for him either. You know, I think if I'm mm. sitting in, uh, you know, the PGMOL headquarters as they sit in their dark robes, nefariously planning <laughs> their evil for the weekend to come, you know, if I if I'm there and I hear. Roberto De Zerbi saying, I don't like 80% of the referees. I have a funny feeling that 100% of the referees are going to react to that. But also, this is the whole trust thing. How 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 do they become likable? I don't know. By... Or, well, maybe not likable, but it, trustworthy, I think. How do you become trustworthy? Obviously, you earn it over time. Sure. Um, but it just... I don't know. It feels like there has to be some sort of way to just my 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 contention would be that if you are going to pay lip service to things like transparency, like this Howard Webb Michael Owen yeah. show is just a basically an ad. You know, it should have just <laughs> ad written at the top of it, right? There's no you can't even put an ad on social on Twitter, like the worst fucking platform on earth. It has to be marked ad. Whereas this is is very obviously that. I think you have to um, not treat the people who you're talking to with kind of disrespect or assume that most of them are stupid. Some of them are, 
But yeah. like a lot of people can see through this for what it is, you know, and yeah. and and true transparency and being open to criticism, constructive or otherwise, probably constructive criticism would be much better, would uh, go some way to help building that trust. Yeah, I remember actually um, Graham Paul, um, I remember a clip going around when he was refereeing where he did a post-match interview and explained his decisions. I think mm. one of them he got wrong. I think even that could go some way because it's different to what we're talking about in terms of the Howard Webb and sure. Michael Owen thing. Actually um, getting their reasoning in real time rather than giving them time to think about <laughs> what they're yeah. going to say. 10 days later, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that as well could go quite a way to um, building some sort of trust mm -hmm. um, because then you're getting the real uh, reasons behind what's going on. But yeah. I think that was like 20, 20 years ago, I think the grown pole clip. Um, I, I think it's probably too far gone to say that's going to happen again. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of at the point where, I, I, you know, so much of the the discourse now is around referees and decisions and VAR that you wonder if, you know, the stable door is well and truly open and the horse is bolted and, and there's not much you can do about it now. But I would prefer if a lot more of the discourse was around the football and the tactics and the performances <laughs> and all the rest of it. Um, let's hope so. Just very finally, um, Gabriel Jesus went away on international duty with Brazil. But, you know, I think the reaction from most Arsenal fans was, you bastards. Uh, he hasn't played since the end of October. He, you know, he hasn't even trained and you're taking him away and you're just going to ruin him and all the rest of it. But the Brazil head coach spoke yesterday. He said, uh, we are doing things with great care. As soon as he arrived, he had a new MRI scan. We're treating him very carefully. And if he's in good condition, he can face Argentina. If not... I'm sure it was still very important for him to come here and he'll return to Arsenal in better shape than when he got here. Are you are you a little more comforted by Brazil's approach to this than maybe we might have been a week ago when they were saying, well, he's got to come. We don't trust what, well, paraphrasing, we don't trust what we're hearing from Arsenal. He must report and we're going to look, you know, look at him ourselves. It does feel as if, you know, there is a bit more to it than perhaps the uh, worst case scenario that we were all uh, fearing. Yeah, I think the quotes, I guess, put to bed a lot of worries um, because um, the way things were framed um, before the weekend, or I think it was like just after the, the Burnley game, actually, um, was he's going and he's playing. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> Whether he can uh, stand or not, he's going to be out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think um, those quotes from the manager help um, give context to the situation. Um, obviously, the one aspect that is a bit maybe not unhelpful because I don't want to um, frame Brazil in that sense, but him having to fly all the way out mm. there is a bit... Oh, do you really have to do all that? But if it's just to, I guess, properly see where he's at, I don't really have an issue with it um, because it seems like they're doing things with care and that's the 
the only thing anyone wants, really. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's trying to be selfish um, in this situation. Um, so as long as he gets through okay, that's the main thing. Yeah. I mean, the ideal situation is that this is actually useful for him in terms of his recovery from that hamstring strain. And if the minutes are useful to get him back to a, a good competitive level, then, you know, all well and good. But woe betide Brazil if he comes back and he's <laughs> aggravated his injury. Um, not the entire uh, nation of Brazil, of course, just <laughs> the head coach and the football federation. I think they're the ones who will end up on the on the wrong end of things. Anyway, look, we had better leave it there for now. As ever, Art, a uh, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Always a pleasure to talk to Art. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Art de Rocher, at Art de Rocher. And of course, you can find him writing stuff about Arsenal in The Athletic. So that's just about that for this week's show. Thank you uh, for being here. If you want something else to listen to, and if you're not already a member on Patreon, you can sign up right now and get an episode of Waffle, the podcast in which James and I talk about anything and everything except Arsenal based on suggestions from our lovely Patreon members. You can find that right now. There is, of course, a whole archive of stuff to help get you through the interlull as well. If you would like, you can sign up right now for about a fiver a month at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. That is patreon.com forward slash arsblog. For now, I'll leave it there. Hope you have a great weekend, whatever you get up to. Stay safe, stay well, look after each other, mind yourselves. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra. Please do join us for that. For now, take it easy and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
Just going to check for serious foul play here. Yep, yep. Uh, yep. Just give me a different angle on that. Yep, 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 yep. That's fine. Yep, yep. And just remind that. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Oh, all right. Just looking. Yeah, yeah. He's come across. And from what I can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty clear. He's punched him. Yep, straight in the face. Absolute. Oh, yeah. Stonewall punch in the face. Oh, now he's taken out of players. He's now taking out two of his back molars there, right, and he stuffed them up each nostril. I'm not sure the lad can breathe here, to be honest. Yep, yep, not great, not great. Yep, yep, oh, and he's pissing on him, right. Straighten his mouth, don't think, don't think it's, it's a threshold for red, though. Uh, what do you think, Big Dave? What, sorry, I was practicing my karaoke for later. Ah, fuck's sake, Dave. We talked about this, how it's never going to let us do a duet now. You're just say you didn't see anything. Yep, 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 yep. You're only half as thick as you look, Dave. Check complete. Check complete. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 